Genesis chapter number 44 this morning, Genesis chapter number 44, and of course we are uh, continuing our journey through the life of Joseph, again so much to learn and to observe and to consider in the life of Joseph, and really the last few messages have sort of taken the focus off of Joseph just a little bit, and we've noticed sort of what God has been doing in the lives of his family, and of course none of us can really exist apart from our family. In other words, what's happening in our families is so very uh, pertinent and impactful to what's happening in our lives. And so while this is a study in the life of Joseph, we're focusing in on his family, understanding that that's playing a role in his life as well. And we're in the 44th chapter. Just for the sake of time, I want you to look with me in two verses, the final two verses of this particular chapter. But really, we're going to preach through a significant portion of what is found here. Verse number 33, Judah, Joseph's brother, is speaking, and he says in verse 33, Now therefore, I pray thee, let thy servant abide instead of the lad, a bondman to my Lord, and let the lad go up with his brethren. For how shall I go up to my father, and the lad be not with me, lest peradventure I see the evil that shall come on my father. The title of the message that the Lord has burdened my heart to preach this morning from this particular chapter is the prayer of Judah. The prayer of Judah. Have you ever prayed a prayer? and been so very privileged to see God answer that prayer according to the way that you prayed it. Isn't that such a faith-building moment in our lives? And I, I was thinking, isn't it truly unfortunate that we as God's people, that we do not pray as faithfully as we ought to. In its early days, the Dallas Theological Seminary was in critical need of $10,000 to keep the school open and the work going. During a prayer meeting, renowned Bible teacher Harry Ironside, a lecturer at the school, prayed this prayer. He said, Lord, Lord, you own the cattle on a thousand hills. Please sell some of those cattle to help us meet that need. Shortly after the prayer meeting, a check for $10,000 arrived at the school. It had been sent days earlier by a friend who had no idea of the urgent need or of Ironside's prayer. The man simply said the money came from the sale of some of his cattle. God is good, isn't he? Dr. Helen Rosevere, missionary to Zaire, told the following story. She said, a mother at our mission station died after giving birth to a premature baby. We tried to improvise an incubator to keep the infant alive, but the only hot water bottle we had was beyond repair. So we asked the children to pray for the baby and, and for her sister. One of the girls responded, dear God, please send a hot water bottle today. Tomorrow will be too late because by then the baby will be dead. And dear Lord, send a doll for the sister so she won't feel so lonely. That afternoon, that very afternoon, a large package arrived from England. The children watched eagerly with anticipation as it was opened. Much to their surprise, under, under some, uh, some clothing was a hot water bottle. Immediately, the girl who had prayed so earnestly started to dig deeper, exclaiming, if God sent that, I'm sure he also sent a doll. And she was right. The Heavenly Father knew in advance of that child's sincere request, and some five months earlier, he had led a ladies' group to include both of those specific articles. Isn't our God good, and isn't there power 
in prayer. The Lord Jesus Christ modeled faithfulness to pray during his earthly ministry. His prayer life was so impressive that his disciples asked him in Luke chapter 11 and verse number one, Lord, teach us to pray. The Bible reveals as we study it that Christ was in the habit of of praying so much that at one occasion, perhaps more than one occasion, he prayed all night in a mountain, according to Luke 6 and verse number 12. The Bible tells us in Luke 9 and verse number 18 that Christ prayed alone all by himself. Luke 9, 28 reveals that Christ prayed with others. The Bible says there that it came to pass about an eight days after these sayings, he took Peter and John and James and went up into a mountain to pray. Did you know that Christ prayed before his most agonizing and difficult work had begun? Luke 22, verses 39 and 40, and he came out and went as he was wont, or as he did regularly, as it was according to his routine, to the Mount of Olives. And his disciples also followed him. And when he was at the place, he said unto them, pray that ye enter not into temptation. A couple of verses later, verses 44 and 45, the Bible says, And being in an agony, he prayed more earnestly, and his sweat was, as it were, great drops of blood falling down to the ground. And when he rose up from prayer and was come to his disciples, he found them sleeping for sorrow. Understand, prayer wasn't something that Jesus just talked about. Prayer wasn't something that Jesus just lectured others to do. No, prayer was something that Jesus did himself. His ministry philosophy uh, was, was about prayer. The Bible says in Luke 18 and verse number one, and he spake a parable unto them to this end that men ought always to pray and not to faint. Jesus is known as the lion of the tribe of Judah. I wouldn't be dogmatic about this this morning, but I do believe that we have just read, we have just read where Judah cements his legacy among his brethren. We know that Christ became our substitute, and as we study this text, we find Judah's prayer before us is a willingness to take the punishment and to take the place to become the substitute for his brother Benjamin. Christ Jesus, our greatest example in prayer, comes to us through the line of Judah who prays the most beautiful and sincere prayer in the 44th chapter of the book of Genesis. Judah's prayer was prompted by the final test given by Joseph to his brothers. After they had enjoyed a feast together, we talked about that last week, in Joseph's home, Joseph instructed his servant to return all of the money of his brothers into their sacks Uh, for their return trip home. And and then he tells his servant, you take my own silver cup and I want you to put that into the sack of the youngest brother, Benjamin. We learn of that in verses one and two. His brothers had no idea of what had happened, of what had been planted in their bags, and they took off on their journey home early the next morning. As they left town, Joseph instructed his servant, the same servant who he told to return all of the money and to put the silver cup in Benjamin's sack, he instructed him, follow after them, overtake them, and accuse them of stealing my cup. Read of that in verses four to five. The servant did as he was instructed, and his brothers were appalled by the allegation. They were horrified. No, we would never do such a thing. We're honorable men. Didn't we bring the money back that uh, that we found in our sacks from our last trip? Uh, They were so certain that none of them would do such a thing that they said, here's what they said. They said, if the cup is found, whose ever bag it's found in, That person will die, 
and the rest of us will be your servants for the rest of our lives. And so they readily took their bags down from their perhaps camels that they were traveling with and they began to search. After careful inspection was made with the oldest brother's sack and then the next oldest and then the next oldest, I can imagine the brothers began to feel even that much more confident. See, we told you. You haven't found the bag yet, have you? There's several brothers, aren't there? As they continued their journey looking for this particular cup, they came to the last bag. The youngest, his name was Benjamin. And as his bag was opened, there was Joseph's silver cup. Their immediate reaction was full of grief and sorrow, according to verse number 13. The Bible says they rent their clothes and they returned, all of them returned with Joseph's servant to stand before Joseph. I was wondering, as I was thinking about this, the Bible doesn't say it, but I'm reading maybe a little bit into it, and I'm thinking that maybe, maybe at this moment they began to all think of ways that they could wiggle out of the mess that they were in. That's sort of how we, we operate, don't we? We find ourselves in a situation and we begin to think, okay, how do I get out of this? What can I do to make this better? And I thought to myself, well, maybe Reuben, who was the oldest, maybe Reuben thought of hiring a good lawyer. And maybe, maybe as they're traveling back to Egypt and they're getting ready to meet with Joseph, Reuben's thinking, you know, you know, if they have, if they have some type of a, of a fingerprint analysis here, this is an advanced country, maybe just maybe we can prove that Benjamin's fingerprints are not on that cup. Maybe he thought to himself, I wonder, I wonder if they got a good lawyer in this country. My dad's got some money. Perhaps we could hire a good lawyer to help us. Maybe that was swirling through Reuben's mind. Maybe Simeon, maybe Simeon thought of a daring escape under cover of darkness. You know, he had been in Egypt much longer than the rest of them, and maybe he would discover some, some type of vulnerability there in the nation of Egypt while he had spent time in prison waiting for his brothers to return. And maybe in his mind was thinking, if we get put back in that same cell, I, I, I think that there's a way that we could dig out of there. I think there's a window that we could sneak out of. And maybe, maybe Simeon was thinking of that type of a thing. Perhaps uh, their brother Levi going through his mind was the thought of somehow, some way sending some type of message back to Canaan to their father and to the ears of their father and knowing their father and knowing how much he loved his sons, perhaps they, they, in his mind, he thought, certainly dad will round up the biggest and the best army that he can find, and he'll march into Egypt, and he'll, he'll, uh, he'll liberate us from, uh, from all of this. Judah, Judah had a better plan in mind, a better plan than anyone else could have come up with. Judah would pray. He would pray to the Egyptian governor, and he would hope that his prayer would be answered you see, the word pray is defined as to ask with earnestness and zeal, to entreat, to supplicate, to petition. Judah's desperate prayer was exactly, listen, was exactly what Joseph was looking for in this final test before he would reveal himself to his brothers. The story is told about a small town that had been historically dry. In other words, it had been a place in which there was no bar. There was no place where liquor or alcohol was served. But then a local businessman decided that he was going to build a tavern in that town. A group of Christians from a local church in the area were concerned about that. And so they decided they would respond by planning an all-night prayer meeting 
to ask God to intervene. It just so happened that shortly thereafter, as this tavern was being built and preparing to open, that lightning struck the bar and it burned to the ground. The owner of the bar responded by suing the church, claiming that the prayers of the congregation were responsible for this. The uh, church, they hired a lawyer too. They hired a lawyer to argue in court that they were not responsible. The presiding judge, after his initial view or review of the case, stated, no matter how this case comes out, one thing is clear. The tavern owner believes in prayer and the Christians do not. <laughs> do you believe in the power of prayer? Do you? Can I encourage you? Said, you said, you nodded your head yes. Many of you shouted out yes. Then why don't we do it? Then why don't we pray like we ought to? Then why don't we spend more time doing such a thing? Problems come into our lives and we shout it out for the world to hear on our social media channels and we pick up the phone and we call everybody we know. We send text messages to everybody when our first response ought to be to hit our knees in prayer. We deal with trials and we deal with issues and problems in life and we, uh, we, we, we do everything but the one thing that actually works. Proving, revealing. Many times as Christians, we really don't believe in the power of prayer. I want us to consider Jude's prayer in this text as perhaps it's the missing component in so many of our lives as we face difficulties and trials. What discoveries can we make about Judah's prayer as we look at this particular text. Number one, I want you to consider with me that Judah's prayer came from a heart of complete confession. Judah's prayer came from a heart of complete confession. Would you look with me in verse number 16? So the scene here is that they've now made their way back into Egypt. Now they're standing before Joseph and Joseph looks at them and he says, what have you done? Did, did you honestly think you could get away with this? Again, they don't know that this is Joseph. To them, this is just some Egyptian governor who's accused them of being spies. What have you done? Do you not recognize that a man such as me can figure out what you're doing here? And look in verse number 16. And Judah said, what shall we say unto my Lord? What shall we speak? Or how shall we clear ourselves? God hath found out the iniquity of thy servants. Behold, we are my Lord's servants, both we and he also with whom the cup is found. You know, what, you know what Judah is saying here? Judah is saying, we have no argument. What do you want us to say? We're speechless. There are no words that could adequately describe where we are today. I'll tell you, I'll tell you what's happened. Here, here's what Judah is saying. I'll tell you what has happened, sir. Egyptian governor, you don't know us. We don't know you. But here's what's happening. God has caught up to us. God's figured this whole thing out. We've been, we've been running for 20 years. Oh, he's not saying that, but we know the story. We know the background. We've been running for 20 years, but we, cannot, we, can't, we cannot run fast enough to outrun God. God has found out. He's caught us. He's figured this whole thing out. When they stood before Joseph, he asked, what have you done? He asked why they thought they could get away with such a thing. And Judah's response is so very telling and insightful because he admits completely confesses, we've, we've sinned. 
we've done wrong. We have been evil. We have been wicked. And God has finally caught up to us. He's saying we are reaping what we have sown all those years prior. Certainly he thought the Egyptian governor would have no idea what he was talking about. Judah was openly acknowledging and confessing his sins from some two decades prior. Say, why is that significant as it relates to prayer? Because here's what the Bible says. The Bible says in Psalm 66 and verse number 18, if I regard iniquity in my heart, the Lord will not hear me. In other words, if you're, if you're harboring some secret sin in your heart and in your life, you think nobody knows about it, you say, where, where will that be manifested? It will be manifested in your prayer life. Because if I regard, if I hide, if I hold fast secret sin, iniquity, if I regard that in my heart, God will not hear me. Proverbs 15, 29 says, The Lord is far from the wicked, but he heareth the prayer of the righteous. John 9, 31, the Bible says, Now we know that God heareth not sinners, but if any be a worshiper of God and doeth his will, him he heareth. When Solomon dedicated the temple to the Lord, that same night, that same night as he was trying to sleep, the Lord came to him with the following message. Here's what God said. If my people, which are called by my name, shall humble themselves and pray and seek my face, notice, and turn from their wicked ways, then will I hear them. The point is this. Powerful prayer begins with complete confession. Judah acknowledged that this wasn't this whole thing wasn't Benjamin's fault. Benjamin hadn't gotten them into this mess. Benjamin hadn't done this. And even if he had done this, this still isn't about Benjamin. Judah says, this is about us. God has caught up to us. God has figured this whole thing out. And that's why we are where we are. And as he gets ready to cry out for mercy and for grace, because he begins here, I believe he finds what he's looking for. If you want to pray powerfully, this is where you begin. What is it that you've not yet confessed to the Lord? What is it that you've not yet acknowledged to the Lord? You think we can hide from him? We think we can keep secrets from him? What sin is in your life that your prayers will never be heard by God, unless you confess and acknowledge and forsake that sin and that wickedness. Judah's prayer came from a heart of complete confession. Notice, secondly, Judah's prayer was directed to the appropriate source. Would you look in verse number 18? Then Judah came near unto him and said, Oh, my Lord, let thy servant, I pray thee, speak a word in my Lord's ears. And let not thine anger burn against thy servant, for thou art even as Pharaoh. Now in the previous chapter, as Joseph and his brothers, I should say, as Joseph's brothers were taken to his house for this feast, they thought, they thought things were catching up with them then. And so here's what they did. They drew near to the servant. You may remember that. They, they approached the servant in Genesis 43 and verse number 19 and said, listen, last time we were here, we were returning back. We found our money. I don't know how that happened, but we brought the money with us, and, and so they appealed to the servant. But here, Judah bypasses all of the servants in Egypt, and he goes directly to the only person who has the power to change anything about this situation at all. See, Judah could have gone all over Egypt telling anyone who would listen about their plight, 
What good would that have done? To To tell some average Joe on the streets of Egypt, hey, hey, listen, here's the mess we're in. Do you think maybe you can say a good word for us? Do you think you can maybe get us out of this mess? None of them had the power to do anything about this particular problem. Instead, instead, Judah went directly to the only one who mattered. The Bible says he went near to him. He asked if he could speak with him privately. And he asked, he says, he says will, you, will you give me a full and a fair hearing before you get angry or you get upset? In his, in his petition, he also heaped praise on the governor, referring to him as being as powerful as Pharaoh. You know, as I began to think about how Judah approached the governor in this text with this prayer, I began to think to myself, now wait a minute. Shouldn't we do the same thing as we appeal to our God? Shouldn't we draw near to him through the element or the means of prayer? And shouldn't we, shouldn't we ask him for a full and fair hearing? And should we acknowledge his glory and his power as we appeal to him as Judah appealed to the governor? What a shame that Judah, listen, that Judah would treat a mere mortal better than we treat the Almighty. So often we unload every problem and burden everywhere but to the Lord. I want to encourage you, do what Judah did. Go directly to him. Fall on your face before God Speak to him, draw near to him, ask him to hear you out, praise him and honor and glorify him from a heart of humility. Go directly to the appropriate source. But notice thirdly, Judah's prayer revealed his true heart. You know what's so powerful about prayer? Is that what you pray about and how you pray, it says something about you. It says something about you. It matters says what's most important to you. The content of Judah's prayer reveals what was really in his heart. It is possible, it is possible that hearing a person pray can give you more insight into that person and what is most important to them than anything else. What I'm saying is you could spend a whole day with somebody and you could talk about the most mundane, random things, but you spend five minutes in prayer with someone and you'll get to know them better than a whole day's conversation. Because when we pray, prayer is what's really inside of us. It reveals what's really in our hearts. And as Joseph, this Egyptian governor, unbeknownst to Judah, sits back and he listens to Judah, he listens to him share this this journey that they've been on with him and what he's going to ask for and how he's going to ask for it, it reveals completely and totally what is in Judah's heart. Notice, In Judah's prayer, number one, that he gave context. He gave context. In verse number 19, he says, My Lord asked his servant, saying, Have you a father or a brother? And we said unto my Lord, We have a father, an old man, and a child of his old age, a little one. And his brother is dead, and he alone is left of his mother, and his father loveth him. You see how he's giving way more information than he's ever given before. He's he's saying, you know, one of our first visits here, you asked about our family and, and we told you, yes, we, but, but let me give you a little bit more information. We do have a father. He's very, very old, and, we have a, we, we, and he has a younger, a younger son, and, and, and he loves that younger son because, because he's the only one left between him and his relationship with, this, with his wife. And, and you see, I was giving context. He keeps going in verse, uh, verse number 21. And thou sayest unto thy servants, bring him down unto me, 
that I may set mine eyes upon him. And we said unto my Lord, the lad cannot leave his father, for if he should leave his father, his father would die. Thou sayest unto thy servants, except your youngest brother come down with you, ye shall see my face no more. So he's saying, you put us in a really difficult spot. Because we understood dad's not letting our brother out of, out of his sight because of this special relationship that they have. And yet you responded and you said, the only way, the only way that I'm going to see you again is if you bring your younger brother. Do you, do you see what he's doing here? He's giving context. He's giving the full story. Let's keep reading. He says in verse number, verse number 24, and it came to pass when we came up unto thy servant, my father, he, he, we told him the words of my Lord. And our father said, go again and buy us a little food. And we said, we cannot go down if our youngest brother be with us. Then will we go down, for we may not see the man's face except our youngest brother be with us. And thy servant, my father, said unto us, ye know that my wife bare me two sons. And the one went out from me. And I said, surely he is torn in pieces, and I saw him not since. And if ye take this also from me, and mischief befall him, ye shall bring down my gray hairs with sorrow to the grave. Now listen, here, here's, what's, here's what's at stake here. The boy that's being accused of stealing the cup is this same boy. And what Judah is doing, he's giving him the whole story. You say, do, do, I, really need to get, do I really need to give that much context when it comes to my, my prayers with God? Doesn't God know everything? Yeah, he knows everything, but he wants to hear from you. So tell him your story. Why does it matter to you? Why is this so heavy on your heart? Why is this burden so great? Why is it so overwhelming? Be real with him. Be honest with him. Don't you understand that the, 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 the comparison, the relationship is father to son? Listen, when my, when my children come to me and they really open up to me and they really tell me what's on their heart, it changes things. It changes things. Why? Because I, I want to meet the needs. Of, I want to... I want to minister to them where their burdens are the greatest. And context matters. See, we sometimes we fall down on our faces and say, God, would you do this? And there's nothing wrong with that. Well, what if we expanded it a little bit? Lord, you know, you know how much this person means to me. Well, I, don't, I, I don't know if I could go on. I'm, I'm, not sure that, I'm not sure that my life would ever be the same. Just, just tell them, just be real. Tell them what's on your heart. I'm not saying, I'm not saying that it's going to change his mind every time, but I, I think context matters, don't you? That's what Jude is doing here. He's looking at this man, and, and, he, and he understands, listen, we don't have a relationship with this guy, but maybe, just maybe, if we tell him our story, if we tell him why this matters so much, if we reveal to him why this is so important to us, maybe, just maybe, It'll change some things. He gave context, hoping that the governor would perhaps give more consideration to their plight and rule favorably. If, if the governor knew, wait a minute, there's an old man some hundreds of miles away from here, and he's already lost one son of the same wife, and, and, and if he loses this son as well, I, I, I could be the one that would bring, would bring him down to the grave in sorrow. I, don't you understand that the, the appeal is being made here with some context? But notice, secondly, not only do you give context, but he sought compassion. Look in verse 30. Now, therefore, when I come to thy servant, my father, and the lad be not with us, seeing that his life is bound up in the lad's life, it shall come to pass when he seeth that the lad is not with us. He said, can you not see it? 
Think about all this old man has been through already. And when we return and the lad is not with us, I want you to get a hold of this picture, governor. I want you to understand what this is going to do. You don't know this old man. You've never met him before, but put put yourself in his position. Someone once said that compassion is your hurt in my heart. That's what he's trying to do here. He's saying, imagine it for just a minute. I have to tell you that one of the, one of the most helpful things to me is trying, when I, when I deal with different things, is trying to put myself in the position of that person. I said a few moments ago that as a pastor, I suppose the one thing I've learned is just how, how difficult this world is and how much heartache there is. In a larger congregation, you deal with things almost weekly, a phone call or a text. They've discovered this in the life of my mother or my wife or my son or my daughter. Surgery is imminent. It's stage four. It's not curable. There's nothing that can be done. My son was out driving. He was involved in a car. Whatever, whatever it is. So often I'll hang up the phone. I'm so tempted just to sort of go back to my normal routine. Just to get back into my study or to get back into whatever it is that I'm dealing with. And one of the most powerful things for me is to imagine that I'm on the other end of that phone. And it's my dad. It's my wife. It's my children. It's my job. Compassion. You're hurt in my heart. That's what Judah's doing here. Think about it for a moment. When When we return back to Canaan, We've got some food, but we don't have our youngest brother. Think about it. Put yourself in my dad's shoes. He's lost. He's lost everything of that relationship that he had with that wife. If if Benjamin doesn't return home, if Benjamin remains a servant or worse, if you take Benjamin's life, he will have lost two sons from the same wife. Put your hurt, put my hurt, I should say, in your heart and think about it for just a moment. He sought compassion. If he could get the governor, now, if he could get the governor to think of his own father. Now, listen, that's ironic, isn't it? That this is what he's saying. He's saying, now, imagine, imagine, governor, this was your dad. What he doesn't realize is all along, the governor is saying, that is my dad. Benjamin is my brother. I, I get it. I see it. I'm with you here. We don't want to put our dad through this particular scenario. But he doesn't realize it at this point in time. The Bible says in Micah 7, verses 18 and 19, Who is a God like unto thee? That pardoneth iniquity, and passeth by the transgression of the remnant of his heritage. He retaineth not his anger forever, because he delighteth in mercy. He will turn again. He will have compassion upon us. He will subdue our iniquities and thou wilt cast all their sins into the depths of the sea. I'm so glad my God delights in mercy. I'm so glad my God has promised that he will have compassion upon us. So why don't we ask for it? Well, would you have some compassion on my family? Well, would you have some compassion on me? Lord, would you have some compassion on our church, on our community, on our world? 
Lord, would you give us some compassion? Thirdly, Judah's prayer revealed his true heart. He gave context. He sought compassion. Lastly, and thirdly, he displayed selflessness. Look in verse 32. For thy servant became surety. That just means I promised. I promised that I would bring the lad back unto my father, saying, if I bring him not unto thee, then, then, shall, then I shall bear the blame to my father forever. Now, therefore, I pray thee, let thy servant abide. In other words, he's saying, let me abide instead of the lad, a bondman, my Lord. I've often thought, depending on who it is, there are some people in this world that if, if I was praying for them, the sincere desire of my heart would be, Lord, bring, bring whatever, whatever this is into my life instead of theirs. I think, I think there's probably not a parent in this room that if your child was having some tests run on them for, for some type of cancer, some other type of dreaded disease, there's not a parent in this room who would not hit the floor and say, Lord, Lord, I will take their cancer. Lord, I will take their dreaded disease. I will become their substitute. However, however, there, there may not be too many people in this world beside maybe your children and maybe your, your, your wife, your spouse, your husband, your parents that maybe you would do that for. I remember growing up in my house and I remember thinking I would, not for my brothers, are you kidding me? <laughs> no chance. Now I'm a little older now. My perspective has changed just a little bit now. Well, I'm thinking to myself, 20 years ago, what was, what was Judah and his brothers, what were they doing to their younger brother? They were hating him. They were despising him. They, they were, they were they, literally, they, they were going to kill him if one of the brothers didn't step up and say, no, listen, let's not go that far. Instead, they sold him, and then they lied about him. And now, now here we are, 20 years have come and gone, and Judah is displaying a selflessness that was missing in Joseph's previous interactions with him. I, I, I can think to myself, and maybe Joseph is sitting back saying, no, where was this 20 years ago? This would have been nice. Selflessness. Judah is, Judah is saying, listen, listen, if it must be this way, if, if there's no other way, then will you, will you allow me to become your servant do you understand what Judah is, is saying here? Judah is saying, I, I, I'm, I'm assuming Judah has a wife and maybe several wives, and he has children, and, and, and maybe, maybe even by this point he has grandchildren. I don't know. And Judah is willing, he's willingly saying, listen, if you'll let my brother go home, if you'll let him be reunited with his father, I, I, I will take his place. I will agree to never see my wife again. I will agree to never see my children again. Again, I will, I will agree to never, see, to, to, to never see my father again so that my brother can spend the rest of my father's days with him. That, that's what he's pleading for. Listen, that, that's selflessness. When we, get to, when we get to a point, when we get to a point where we say, listen, whatever, Lord, whatever it is that, that, that you might have designed for this person, whatever your will might... Lord, I'm willing to take their place. I'm not saying that God will do it. I'm not saying that God will, will, will necessarily uh, respond according to the way you ask, but I'm saying it reveals something about who you are, doesn't it? 
it gives, it gives God some insight into just how, how desperate you are for what it is that you're praying for. Judah's desperation is abundantly clear here. And listen, and Joseph recognizes it immediately. Joseph is sitting back and he's saying, this is not the same person I once knew. He's changed. The, the selflessness on display indicates that Judah is a changed man and how he prays in this text, in this text, I should say, reveals his true heart. Lastly, finally, Judah's prayer, number four, prompted the governor to action. Would you look in chapter 45 and verse number one? Then Joseph could not refrain himself before all them that stood by him. Sidlow Baxter said, men may spurn our appeals, reject our message, oppose our arguments, despise our persons, but they are helpless against our prayers. Joseph had put several tests before his brothers, and who knows, maybe, maybe Joseph had planned some additional tests until, until he heard Judah's prayer. Maybe there were some more things that Joseph was going to put his brothers through. And maybe even as he thought on this, maybe he delighted in it just a little bit. Glee filled his heart as he thought, boy, I can't wait till, and then we're going to do this, and then we're going to do this, and boy, they're going to be howling by the time it's all said and done. Until, until Judah drew near to him, whispered in his ear, can I have an audience with you? Will you give me a full and fair hearing? We know how powerful you are. You're, you're as powerful as Pharaoh. Let me tell you the story. Back home, I've got a daddy. He's old, he's up in years. He had a wife in which he had two sons, and, and he goes into the story. And then he says, and then he says, listen, if it must be so, if you're, if you're dead set on extracting some vengeance on us for, for the stealing of this cup, then take me instead. And when Joseph heard this prayer, when he, when, he, when, he, when, he, when he saw it, he couldn't help himself any longer. The Bible says that he stood, stood up and he commanded everyone, said, leave the room. As we jump into this next week, Lord willing, we're gonna find that he reveals himself to his brothers. And it is an incredible reunion. What precipitates that? It's the prayer of Judah. What are you praying for today? What's heavy on your heart today? If I were to have an opportunity to pray with everybody in this room, oh, that'd be so insightful to me, wouldn't it? To hear what's on your heart, to know what you're burdened about. What are you praying for today? Can I encourage you to consider these prayer lessons from Judah begin with complete confession and acknowledgement of any sin, known sin in your life. Can I encourage you to go directly to the Lord? Go to the appropriate source. So often we go to everybody but the person who actually can make a difference. Go to God with it. Understand that your prayer life, what you're praying for, reveals what's really in your heart. Give context. Give context. Be selfless. And recognize, listen, recognize, understand that your prayers can prompt, can prompt the Lord 
to move on your behalf or on the behalf of others. Our